want to read to you the text for this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And it's a familiar text, but I want to read it because it has so much to say. And today we uh, come to the last message on the one another's. And the, the one another today is spur one another. Let's read the history. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, then let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The one another's have been uh, an interesting list. We didn't get to all of them, but we got to many of them. And to me, there's something that we do, if we do these things, then there's an effect, there's a result. It's like if you take medicine, the doctor is prescribed, there should be a result. You will feel better, whatever has been the problem should at least make the problem a little more tolerable, if not go away completely. That's why they write prescriptions. The other day, I, we were watching uh, one of the games, and uh, one of the prescription commercials came on. And so I, I thought, that, you know, they speed the tape up, uh, the video up, the guy's going, and that's all the, the side effects. You don't understand a word they're saying. So I looked one up, the side effects. And here's what they are. You, you, you know, no wonder they play it so fast, you can't understand what they're saying. So this particular prescription, if you take it, and I, I think I maybe have taken this one, frankly, uh, somewhere. Um, this one, the side effects, vision problems, I, you know, eye pain, sore throat, seizures, depression, loss of contact with reality. There's a lot of us on that drug. <laughs> Confusion, muscle twitching, you know, and shaking of the hands that you can't control. Numbness, upset, upset stomach. Can't say that one. Uh, irregular heartbeat, sudden weight gain, swelling or pain in the stomach, swelling of the eyes, face, lips, tongue, throat, arms, hands, feet, ankles, lower legs. If all that swole up by this drug, I'd look like an entirely different person. Difficulty breathing. And it goes, I'm not going to do them all, but just a few more. Difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. And the next one, I've never heard of this as a side effect of a prescription, but it's on the list. Inappropriate happiness. <laughs> you, I didn't make it up, I promise. You have got to be kidding me. So if I take this medication, I'm going to have inappropriate happiness. Now the next one is extreme changes in mood. So somewhere the inappropriate becomes extreme, you know, moody, whatever it is. Bulging eyes is another one. Thin, fragile skin. But you take two of these a day and you're going to feel better, you know. <laughs> Thank God the side effects of doing what God tells us to do are always good. They're always, always good. Let's dive into this. You think of somebody in your life who spoke into you. They encouraged you at a moment that you were needing it and they didn't know it. And they saw something in you perhaps 
Probably this person would have known you fairly well, or at least known you for a while to understand how you're kind of wired up and what your strengths and weaknesses may be. And let's say this person saw something in you and they spurred you on. It's a little stronger than just motivate or encourage. It's all part of the same family. But they spurred you on to get better, maybe work a little harder, to excel in an area of strength that they perceive you have. It could have been a school teacher, a coach, a mentor, parents. Hopefully parents can play that role throughout the life of the kids we raise. Perhaps you felt at times they were pushing you too hard, demanding too much, but later in, later in life you look back and you're thankful for that person because they helped you find that job or reach that goal and not give up. The key verse today in the, the text that I read is verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now there's some things here that we need to understand. The first few verses of this uh, chapter 10, between 19 and 23, for example, or 22, we're, we're being encouraged here. We're getting to know why this is so important and how we're gonna carry it out. So for instance, if you go back to 19, we have confidence. In Christ, we have confidence then to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ. Now, they're talking about by a new and living way, which opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him with sincere heart and full assurance faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed in pure water. Now what that's saying is they're going back to the crucifixion and the minute Jesus breathed his last breath when he died, it says the curtain. That's why they refer here to the curtain. The curtain of the temple surrounding the Holy of Holies was ripped, was I mean, literally ripped from top to bottom. And everyone knew that was humanly impossible. But in that moment, that, that curtain, what, I picture it as very heavy. I don't know quite how tall it could have been, but it was, it was just there to make sure that only the holiest of holy people got to go behind that curtain, which meant the rest of us didn't. And only a few could do that, and only a, only it could, they could only do it every now and then or certain times of the certain festivals or whatever through the year. So that's the curtain, and we've been given life because Jesus, in his death, ripped that curtain and said, everybody's welcome. Because the curtain was there to keep us out. In that culture, you would never be good enough. That's, that was the issue Jesus had with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They pretended as if they were flawless, sinless, perfect, knew everything. Except in their knowledge, they become extremely judgmental and unkind, as Jesus would say some of his most harshest words for those people. But now that curtain was torn. Can you imagine the, what the, the Pharisees must have felt? Our, what, what's our new job? What are we supposed to do now? We're not really needed anymore. That's not true, as they would find out. But the curtain was torn. And because the curtain was torn, we were, have been accepted freely into his presence. Nothing between us and him. We have this great priest over the house of God. So what are we gonna do? We're gonna draw near with a sincere heart, and with a great faith. He's, he's cleansing us from a guilty conscience. 
We've been washed in fresh spirit of God through Jesus Christ, pure water. So what are we going to do? We're going to hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess. We're going to hold on to it unswervingly for he promised is faithful. And then he says, and now let us consider how we may have good deeds, how we may spur one another on toward love, good deeds. And we're not talking about deeds that you kind of have on your, uh, it's okay to have a schedule and all that, but I mean, sometimes we think today I'm gonna do a few good things because people need to see that I'm not as bad as they think I am. Because if, if you're spurring anyone on toward love and good deeds and, and your motive is to be noticed, then it, it's null and void. So we've got to keep that in mind here. That we're going to, we, we want to consider how we each as children of, of God, as Christ followers, can spur each other, spur, motivate, help, encourage, spur one another on toward love and good things, good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's a strong statement. And I know preachers, including this one, have used this through the years as a good lightning rod to say, you better get in church. <laughs> you know? And it's true. See, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but because if we don't meet together, we're not going to be able to encourage if we're not together. My contention has always been, if you have to beg people or, or throw the book at them to get them to come to church, maybe you need to look at your, your uh, content at church. Maybe the pastors need to think twice about, well, what, what might help them come to this place? Would they feel encouraged when they walk in here? Would they feel there's possibilities? Would they sense that they can be a new beginner and still be loved by the church? Would those who have been in the faith for decades, will they be kind anyway to those of us newbies who don't know much? So we want to give up meeting together because we want to encourage each other and we want to encourage all the more as we see the day approaching, which is referring to the second coming of Christ. Now, even then, they said it could be any time we still today, we know that to be true. Every now and then somebody will predict that it's going to happen. I remember being in college when some, I forget who it was, uh, clearly didn't have everything upstairs that he needed because he said Jesus come back in 1980. And I was in college, it was 1977. And I'm not, I thought, well, I'd like to live a little longer. You know, when you're a kid, you wait a minute, Jesus, hold off for a while. I want to see what it's like to be in my twenties, you know? So everybody's always thought it was going, and it could happen at any minute. It really could. So with that in mind, knowing that the Lord will come back, we don't know when, and there's no way of predicting it, no matter what anybody says. He'll come like a thief in the night, he said. He, no one's gonna expect this. But that's what they were saying is, look, between now and when that day comes, let's encourage each other. Let's meet together. Let's spur one another on to greater things, to greater places. The word spur is used only twice in the New Testament. It's an aggressive term. To spur is to provoke, motivate, stir up. So while encouraging is certainly a part of that word, the real intention here is taking encouragement and those things up a lot, up a notch or two, and they're saying it's, it's to provoke, motivate, stir up. And so the word is more confrontational. When I encourage someone, I might point out, 
a talent that I see or a character trait that I appreciate or a spiritual gift being used for God's work in his church. I'm asking more and more uh, young people these days, and I, and I was kind of spurred on to do this by a group of pastors that Kim and I were with a couple of weeks ago. I'm asking more high school students. I had the chance to do that this week. I'm, more, I'm taking more initiative. It's now in my mind. I'm trying to get young kids in high school to consider being used by God in ministry. To encourage them to say, you can do this. Oh, I could never. Oh, yes, you could do this. And partly that's because I, I know these kids I've been saying that to. And so I know that they've got, I just really believe in my gut. They have got it. They do love Jesus. They see things differently and we need them to. But we need to encourage them. I, I'd love to spur some young people on to give their life to the ministry of Jesus in the local church. Our future does not look very good. More and more are leaving the church and fewer and fewer Christian colleges and universities, fewer and fewer have, most of them have fewer uh, ministry students. So that's, we, we spur someone and we see something in them, we think it's possible. So when God is using us to spur someone on, it's not just sort of complimenting their ability, but offering to open a door of opportunity. Someone might say, I'm going to put you through school if this is the path you'd like to take. I've heard that happening before. I might say, let's get you in a circle of other like-minded people so you can learn at a deeper level how aiming at what you're aiming at might help. In other words, when encouraging you, I will point out something you've done that has been done well, praise you for the effort, and then I'll go a step further. To spur them on is to go another step and say, I also think God might want to use this. Don't, I'm not saying he will. I'm just saying it would seem to me there's a good chance that maybe God is taking you on a journey that you didn't plan to take. And I'm, I'm pretty good at seeing that because I was the, I'm one of those <laughs> that happened many, many years ago for me to go a direction I'd never, I didn't plan to go. So God has told us through this word that we're to encourage each other with these things. Because the curtain has been torn, we can enter the sanctuary now. We can enter through a new and living way, verse 20 says. We can enter through the curtain, so to speak, because now there's nothing keeping us from him. He's the great high priest, our personal priest who speaks to the Father for us. We no longer need someone between us and Jesus. The curtain has been torn. Because of that, because of the confidence that gives us, because of the assurance that gives us about his love for us, then what, what we can do. There are, there are four things that the text tells us that we can be doing. First of all, it says draw near to God. It says, draw near to God. So how do we draw near to God? Well, for some, you might need to know, I, I need to know what I even believe about God. I need to figure out what this is all about. There are people in this church are, that are, are not sure what they believe. And I love that you're here. If there's a place that's gonna be patient and help you get there when you're ready to get there, it's us. There's no time frame. We're not gonna tell you 90 days or you're out. You know, get it figured out or we'll have to part. No, 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 no. But there are times that we might want to say, here's some steps you can take. Our Alpha ministry is wonderful. People come and ask questions. They ask hard questions. It, it had, that class is here uh, at this location. It's out in the Edmond location. It's over at the community center in the clinic. 
and people are coming there with their questions. And I'm thankful that we have a place where questions can be answered instead of sitting here wondering what we mean and no one willing to explain it to you. So if you want to draw near to God, if, you're, if you know that there's now, maybe you've had your idea of God changed. A lot of people grew up in church, got hurt in church, and never went back to church. And some of you are sitting here, having gone through that experience, trying to ease your way back in to see, is this going to be any different than the last time? Because the last time, they basically threw me out. So you draw near to God. It's like the owner's manual of a car. I've had my Toyota three years, and I, and I guess I was sitting in some, some line, probably drive through somewhere, and I looked down, there's this button, and I thought, I wonder what that's for. I just hadn't noticed it. It's down here on the left. It's kind of hidden behind the steering wheel and a couple of buttons down there. And uh, uh, I know one uh, for the rear view, the, the, uh, those, those mirrors on the side of the car. What do you call those? Uh, they're on the, on the doors. And then there's another one. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I mean, three years, I've got the owner's manual out, looked it up. I didn't know that's what it was. I had no idea I had this, this this wonderful trick on my car that if I just push that button, then at night when I'm driving, when the, when the brights are needed, they'll just come on. That's just, I didn't know I had that. I don't, I don't have to click it anymore, you know, or forget that I've turned, got the brights on and the cars are blinking. There's back at me to turn your brights off. Well, now it'll be done for me. I learned that just by checking the owner's manual after three years of owning the car. And numerous people flashing theirs back at me saying, turn your brights off. So it's kind of the same way. We've got an owner's manual, folks. It's all here. There's nothing to lose studying it, getting acquainted with it. And if you think you're going to get it all figured out, read it cover to cover, and you're done, no, you're not. I've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for a long time. And there's still discoveries. There's still times I open this up and I think, wow, there's a bright light I've never seen before. And I may have read it before. But it means something different now than it might have the last time I read it. That's the way it works. So we, we draw near to God. And, and drawing near means I take some initiative to get to know who, who has said to me that I'm worth something and that I valued and someone has died for me. So we draw near to God. We hold unswervingly then to the hope we profess. Those of us who have been in Christ, following Christ, and, and that doesn't mean we get perfection at all. We don't, but we're going to hold on to it. This hope that I confess as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to hold unswervingly to that hope. And then it says, we're going to consider then, because of this, how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. And we're going to do, part of that involves meet together and encouraging one another. That's what we do. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. That's a great reminder. Sometimes people are going to be influenced simply by the way we act. Simply by what they observe in us. And sometimes people will be influenced or be drawn closer to God when we simply invite them. Let them know it's safe to ask questions. Because of the confidence that is ours through Christ, we draw near to God. We hold unswervingly to that hope. We consider how we're going to spur others on to love and good deeds. We're going to meet together because that's what we do. The Christian life 
is not a journey for the casual weekend strollers. It's more like a strenuous hike in the Rockies. Jesus calls it the narrow way and warned us of its cost. Stability and predictability cost us something. The cost is the sameness, blandness, boredom. The cost is a watered down walk with Jesus who has so much more for us if we'd accept it or if we even knew it was available. The cost is a weak church. The cost is a culture that looks at us, finds us weak, and a culture that has kind of decided we don't have much to offer. And we know none of that is true, but we are the ones. We are part of that multitude that Jesus looked at and said, you go into this world and you let people know about this. You let people know about me. You let people know how much they're loved. You let people know that they're offered something far better. And in fact, Christians at times, I think, may have taken that medicine because I see Christians that would seem to be inappropriately happy. (laughs) (laughs) And we really can't help it, to be honest with you, particularly in worship, and especially worship at crossings in all our rooms. God has been kind to us. We have much to be thankful for. This one another is intended to push Christians beyond their comfort zone. So if if there's any agitation here, it's probably good. It probably means you're a little more tuned into this and you're realizing what the cost of spurring another one on might be, of what that might involve. Even as believers, we've gotten awfully busy in life, sometimes too busy to do what really matters, sometimes moving too fast to stop, think, care, pray. That's the role that Jesus has given us as his church. Gerald Sitzer, who wrote that quote that's now on the screen, has written a book called Love One Another, Becoming the Church Jesus Longs For. He makes this statement. There's something more important than being right. That something is being loving Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, who calls us to obey one supreme command, to love one another as he's loved us. No disagreement is so important, no division so final, no clash so intense that we are relieved of the responsibility to live like Jesus. As he loved even his enemies who sent him to the cross, So we must love others. As Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And if we do this, if we can grasp this, if we can somehow free ourselves from feeling like maybe it's not deep enough or it's too shallow, this is where it starts. If we can truly do what Jesus said, the greatest commandment, love one another and love each other as I've loved you. It's just one of the many ways these one another's come to life. So we love one another, accept one another, greet one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, pray for one another, honor one another, live in peace with one another, care for one another, confess your sins to one another, be devoted to one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, spur one another onto good deeds. That's just a few of them. There are many more but they say something very important for us and tell us something that we need to know. 
I love a phrase that John Wesley wrote. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Let's all do this together. When all our rooms, let's just say it together. And this will be our benediction. After we say this, I'll pray. And then our prayer teams will be in the front of all of our rooms. Uh, the prayer walls, of course, are in every room. Please, please let us know how we can pray for you. Please not hesitate if you're in one of our rooms to go to the front as everybody's leaving the room and you'll find our pastors and prayer teams there to pray with you about anything that is on your mind. Let's say this together. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Father, we thank you so much for this word today out of the book of Hebrews. And we thank you for the one another's that are scattered throughout scripture, serving as a guide for how we are truly to treat one another and relate to each other, especially those of us who claim to follow Jesus. Father, I hope we've all learned something. And more than anything now, Lord, show us how to put these into practice. Father, stir our thoughts when we know we've got an opportunity to do something for another that you might have in mind for us to do. And it might be so simple you would assume it won't be noticed, but Father, we know you notice everything. So lead us places where someone needs someone, for someone who needs encouragement, for someone who needs to be told they can do this, they can finish this race, to spur them on to stretch and become everything you have planned for them to be. Use us to do these great things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.